we've been working our way through um, intimacy with God, and we've been kind of talking about how to develop that, how to really deepen our intimacy with the Godhead. Again, this is a phrase the Apostle Paul uses uh, in some of the New Testament writings, and when Paul talks about the Godhead, uh, he's talking about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so we've really been talking uh, these last uh, several months on, on really how to develop intimacy with God. What does that look like? And so tonight, I want to kind of just finish up with this last foundation, and then we're going to kind of move into um, a new, um, a deeper area of that intimacy um, tonight. And so I want to kind of just finish up with this last foundation. I got started on it last week, want to finish up. Uh, on that today, and that uh, point that we were talking about was maturity provides protection in the anointing. Now again, uh, if you were not here last week, or even if you were, let me just kind of refresh your memory. Now the anointing, as I understand it, as I believe the Bible teaches, the anointing is God coming upon human flesh and doing Things that human flesh cannot do alone or apart from God. And so oftentimes um, you'll, you'll maybe uh, um, be in a worship service and you'll just feel a power or you'll feel a presence in the worship. You may just feel it as you're in worship. You may feel the anointing on the musicians. Uh, you may feel it on, on Pastor Jason as he's leading. That, that, that power, that presence, um, maybe that feeling that you kind of just feel, you can't identify it. You just know that God is moving in the worship, or maybe in, in the preaching. Um, God can move in, in, in a multitude of ways. It's just where you feel the power and the presence of God, and, and we would call that the anointing. And that is simply God's power kind of just coming upon human flesh and, and doing something in and through that person that they otherwise could not do apart from the power and the presence of God. So that is that anointing. It is God doing those things only he can do and doing them through a flesh and blood vessel. Now we kind of talked about how Paul defines this in 2 Corinthians. Paul talks about us having this treasure or containing this treasure in earthen vessels. That the excellency or the, the power or the supremacy may be of God and not of us. So the anointing, it is again that power, that presence of God the Holy Spirit coming upon us and kind of accomplishing God's plans and God's purposes in and through us. So, to, so oftentimes what will happen is when the anointing comes, God is taking something that you're doing in service to him and, and God is kind of just bringing a supernatural power uh, or thrust upon something that you're doing, and it just kind of gives it a, a power, uh, it gives it a presence, that there's just this feel of, of something 
different, something marvelous, something spectacular is happening. Uh, So to to be anointed by God, we're just being set apart for a particular purpose of God wanting to manifest himself in a particular way in and through uh, those of us who are, are just surrendered and given to God for that purpose. So the anointing is God's power. It's his spirit for service upon the earth to him and in serving others. Now, one of the truths we kind of talked about at length last week, and I think where we kind of left off, is that God releases and entrusts degrees of his anointing and his power to the spiritually mature. Okay? God loves the spiritually immature, the weak, maybe the struggling, the imperfect believer. But oftentimes, God will not release an anointing upon spiritually immature people because often they're just not ready for that. Uh, Oftentimes, if God were to release power and anointing upon the spiritually immature, oftentimes that becomes a reinforcement where they just remain spiritually immature. So God will deliberately, by his plan, he just releases degrees of his is anointing upon those who are spiritually mature. Now, maturity means growing deeper. Again, we're not perfect, but we're in progress. We're kind of what Wesley says, going on to perfection. We're growing in the things of God. We're having greater understanding, deeper revelation, deeper experiences of God. We're going on to deeper things. And when that happens, when that maturity begins to grow and to develop, there comes a point to where God sees the development, the spiritual development there, and God can begin to just release his power and his anointing upon um, those believers. And that spiritual maturity, that spiritual growth, that is the barrier that protects those whom God has released his power and anointing. Like I said last week, it has nothing to do with earning it. You don't have to be a Christian for, say, five years, and then after that five years, God just suddenly begins to release that power and that anointing. It has nothing to do with that. It is to those who, who go to a certain point in their walk, in their depth, in their understanding experience of God, where God sees they are ready to be able to handle the anointing and the power of his spirit. Now, it's not wrong to pursue those things. Matter of fact, we need to be pursuing that maturity in order that the anointing, that the power of God can be upon us, can be working through us, so that we can lay hands on people in order that they might receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to be able to lay hands on people that they might be healed. But again, we also, in pursuing the anointing, we've got to be pursuing maturity and depth in God. When God's power, when that anointing is just kind of released and begins to flow in and through your lives, again, if that happens without proper spiritual maturity or depth, 
one of the results of that will, will become that pride, the sin of pride, will just begin to take hold in your life. Now, there are times when uh, God has used me as a vessel to release his power into the life of another. Now, if I am not careful with that, pride will come. This sense of boasting or this, this sense of privilege. I'm special. I'm something. And what happens is pride begins to come in and it wants to begin to convince us that I did this. I healed this person. Rather than the spirit, the power of God worked through me in order to manifest that healing. Again, I have never healed anyone. You will never heal anyone. The power of healing doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God, but God has chosen to use us as a vehicle, as a vessel for his power to flow through. And spiritual maturity is what enables that power, that anointing of God to flow through us. And so again, if it comes upon us in, in times of spiritual immaturity, oftentimes it will lead us into pride, into arrogance, again, into this sense of special privilege. You know, I'm the anointed of God, you're not. Uh, it just leads us into places that will again become destructive and will begin to inhibit uh, our growth uh, in God. So again, if you're not careful in times like those where the Spirit of God is moving, you can mistakenly kind of begin to convince yourself the power is of you and not um, of God. So pride can quickly take us from boasting in the Lord to boasting in our own flesh. You know, look at what I've accomplished rather than look at what the Lord has done um, through me. So the Apostle Paul, we kind of talked about a lot of examples um, of this, you know, where the, where the disciples were with Jesus one time, and, and they kind of compared themselves to Elijah, and they were referring to that time when Elijah calls down fire uh, to consume the prophets of Baal, um, and so they kind of liken that to do you want us, Jesus, to kind of like Elijah call down fire and, and consume these people from Samaria for rejecting you? And remember, Jesus says, man, you know not what spirit you're of. And, and again, there was, they're wanting the power of God to come upon them for God to use them, but they lack the maturity and the understanding um, to go there. Uh, we talked about Simon uh, in, in Acts 8. Again, another example of a new believer who sees the, you know, Peter and John laying hands upon uh, new believers and they're being baptized in the Holy Spirit. They're being healed of sickness and disease. And, and Simon, a new believer, wants to buy this power so he too um, can do it. Again, there's just this, thing, uh, this sense where, where he wants um, to uh, 
get credit. He wants to be recognized or noticed by this great power he's able to manifest. And remember that Peter rebukes him, uh, you know, and just says, may your money perish with you. Uh, You're not ready to receive this kind of power or anointing in your life. Now, again, the apostle Paul, and this is where we kind of left off last week, the apostle Paul kind of provides just, again, an awesome example of this foundation of spiritual maturity providing protection in the anointing from his own life and ministry. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 7, it says this. This is Paul. says, Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of of the revelations. Now, Paul's referring right here to this time. He has received an abundance of revelation. I mean, God has just been downloading revelation, knowledge, wisdom. God's just been downloading um, just stuff in, in, in Paul. And Paul's recognizing that God has revealed and entrusted spiritual knowledge and revelation and wisdom. And he says, lest I be exalted. Again, he's talking about this, this temptation of pride. Lest I be exalted by pride, tempted by pride, above measure, by the abundance of revelation. He said, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. And then he describes in more detail what that thorn was. He said, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. He said, lest I be exalted above measure. He said, concerning this thing, this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan, he said, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart or be taken from me. And God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And in a little bit, we're going to talk about that, what that weakness is. How do we embrace that weakness that Paul's talking about there? He says, therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my weakness that the power of Christ may rest on me. That's the anointing. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, distresses, and and again, this is that thorn that, that he talks about there. He said, therefore, I am well content with this thorn in the flesh that God has placed there, this messenger of Satan. He said, it's manifesting itself with weakness, with insult, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So again, Paul's been receiving all of this just incredible, awesome revelation. You remember at one point, Paul's actually taken, he says, I don't know if it was in the spirit, if it was with my body, but he said, I was taken into the third heaven. He sees and he hears things he can't even begin to describe because the human language does not afford him the vocabulary to describe what he has seen. It's so beyond human 
vocabulary. It's so beyond human comprehension. And, and so Paul's got all this revelation, this understanding, this wisdom, particularly in the area of God's grace, especially God's grace that is about to be poured out upon the Gentiles. So he shares about the Lord taking him into heaven. He talks about um, that more great revelation. So with all of this abundant revelation that Paul's given by the Lord, Paul is spiritually mature enough to understand that with all of that, there would come this temptation, this opening for pride, for arrogance, to enter Paul and disrupt his ministry and interfere with God's anointing upon Paul's life. So to protect Paul, and I want to emphasize that word, that idea of protection, okay? To protect Paul in the anointing that is upon his life. God allows this thorn in Paul's flesh. This thorn was allowed to remain um, by God to keep Paul from being exalted, what he says there, beyond measure. And from becoming prideful based on all of the revelation that, that God is just downloading into Paul. Now again, I believe there are many people who believe that, that Paul's thorn in the flesh was sickness. I do not believe that at all. I believe Paul's thorn in the flesh is exactly what Paul said the thorn in the flesh was in verse 10. He said, it's persecution, it's distresses, it is insults, it is difficulties. That's what that thorn in the flesh was, and Paul was talking um, about, again, this primarily this new move of God, that, that God was going to begin to pour out, God was going to begin to bring the Gentiles into this relationship of salvation with him. So it was persecution because Paul was basically at this point taking all that God offered to the Jewish people, God's chosen people, and Paul, for the first time, is going to take all that was just primarily given for the Jewish people, and he's going to begin to offer it to the Gentiles. That had never, ever been done before. Paul's basic message to the Jews of his time was, look, you've had multiple opportunities, and you've rejected Jesus the Son of God, whom the Father said he would send to redeem his people from their sins. So he said, so in order to provoke you into jealousy in hopes that you might reconsider God's gift of grace through Jesus and return to him and be forgiven of your sins, God is going to offer his gracious gift to those outside the Jewish faith. 
So for the first time in the history of the Jewish faith, Paul, a Jew, was proclaiming, preaching, and inviting those outside the Jewish faith to a saving relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that had never, ever been done before. And the Jewish religious leaders were not happy about this. To make matters worse, when a Gentile came to faith in God, they were no longer required to convert to Judaism as they were before. If they were not circumcised uh, in, in, uh, before Paul begins to bring forth this new offer, if you were not circumcised, you had to be circumcised in order to be considered uh, in the Jewish faith. And so Paul, because of this new approach, in taking the good news of the gospel that had been solely and primarily for the Jewish people and for the first time taking that message and giving it to Gentiles, Paul comes under intense persecution and, and uh, just uh, um, uh, distress uh, and, and trials and tribulations from the Jewish religious leaders of his day. You can read the book of Acts. And it will give you kind of a fuller uh, idea of how the Jewish religious leaders responded and treated Paul in this new endeavor. So God allows this persecution, the insults, the distresses into Paul's life in order to keep him from becoming prideful, arrogant, boastful in, this, in all these revelations that he had been given by God. So again, God allows this thorn in the flesh to keep Paul from being exalted beyond measure, to protect Paul's anointing. So again, that the power, the presence of God would continue to rest upon Paul's life to flow through uh, his ministry. Now, Paul says three times he asked God, would you just remove this thorn? Would you just get rid of these messengers, these people who are persecuting, who are insulting, who are attacking me, who are trying to shut down my ministry? Paul's thinking, hey, God, if you would just get rid of these people, and all of the havoc, the confusion, the distress, the tribulation that they're creating, I could get a lot more done for you and for your kingdom, so how about it? And after the third time, God says to Paul, hey, Paul, my grace, the, the thing you're preaching and teaching and offering to the Gentile, that grace is more than sufficient. As a matter of fact, he said, it's all you need. Besides, he says this, my power, my anointing works best in your weakness. My power, my anointing, the thing that is winning so many people to salvation, the thing that is bringing so many people to repentance works best in your weakness. 
So that's God's response to Paul's request to remove those thorns. Now I want you to see Paul's maturity in this. Listen to Paul's response. God says, Paul, I'm not going to remove those things because it is having the exact effect I want it to have. It's making you weak. It's making you more and more dependent upon me. It is keeping you from getting all puffed up, full of pride, full of arrogance over all of the revelation I've given you, all that I've downloaded in you. So I am going to keep you I'm going to keep you deliberately in that place of weakness because my strength, my anointing, my power is at its best when you are weak and dependent upon me. Now, Paul could have just said, well, fine, then I quit. Go find somebody else to do this. And if Paul would have just quit and walked away, he knew the persecution, the insult, the stresses, that thorn in the flesh would cease. But again, because of Paul's spiritual maturity, because of, again, his depth, because of his intimacy with God, what does Paul do? Paul's response is, oh, that's, what this is all about. You're allowing this in order to keep me weak so that your power and your strength can continue and increase in me, through me, and in my ministry. And he says, now I get it. You're doing this so I don't get all puffed up and prideful over all you're doing in and through me. So rather than ask to be released from it, Paul, in his spiritual maturity, he embraces and he rejoices in the persecution, in the insults, the trials, the difficulties, the distresses, so that the power of Christ would continue and increase in him. That's spiritual maturity. And that... Maturity, that depth that Paul had with God protected him and protected God's anointing upon his life. Now, one of the keys to this was the fact that Paul was willing. There was a willingness of Paul to become weak in order that the power of Christ would rest upon him, that that would work in and through him. In order for God's anointing power and presence in your life to work, to increase, God will need, it's required. There's no way around this. God will need to bring you to a place of weakness. We don't like that. Matter of fact, that really kind of goes against our flesh. The secret to greatness in the kingdom of God is through voluntary weakness. We're going to get into that. The secret to greatness in the kingdom of God is voluntary weakness. When we choose to become weak. 
Now, for those of you here who have a desire to have the anointing of God working, uh, for that power to be increasing in your life, it is so important. We've got to continue to press on and go deeper in our walk, go deeper in our intimacy with God. And you do that by becoming more and more intimate with God through worship, through prayer, through uh, reading the word. Um, and as you do, what that will do is it will, it will strengthen, it will increase, it will deepen your maturity in him. And in that, that spiritual maturity will begin to provide protection. It will become a barrier and it will protect you as the anointing and power of God comes upon and, and works in your life. Now some of you may be here wondering tonight. You're, you're maybe thinking, God's power, God's anointing has never really come upon my life. Why is that? Well, because you're still in a place of spiritual immaturity. And I don't mean that as a knock. I'm just saying that, that you're, hopefully you are in progress. You're moving toward that greater maturity um, with God. And, and when you reach a certain point, and I don't know what that is. I think that may be different for all of us. There comes a point where God says, okay, you're far enough along. I can begin to release that power and anointing into your life. And again, it, it's just coming to God and saying, I desire this. I want to pursue deeper intimacy with you because one of the results I want is I want your power and your anointing uh, to come upon my life. So don't despair. Uh, if you're not there, at least be pursuing, at least be asking God to take you deeper in that, that his power and anointing uh, can come upon you. Now, let me just pause here because I have, I've been probably... Um, neglectful in allowing you just to ask questions or to make comments. And, and on your outline here, um, on the first page there, I've listed those seven foundations for growing in intimacy with God. And we've, and we've covered all of these in, in great detail. I've even gone back and tried to surmise some of these so let me just find out before we, um, I go into uh, embracing weakness. Are there any questions or comments at this point? And it's okay if you don't. I'm not, I'm not asking. I'm just wanting to open that up if there are questions or comments um, to give you an opportunity to do that. Give me a chance to get a drink of water here. One of the things I want to, we're going to kind of talk about here for the next couple of weeks is, is, again, this whole concept of embracing weakness because this really is one of the keys. It's probably one of the greatest keys of what Paul does in order for that anointing, that power of God to really be upon his life. There's this point where Paul recognizes and he embraces this weakness, this dependency upon Christ, and it's in that weakness, that dependency upon Christ, that the power of God begins to move and really increase 
in Paul's life. Now let me just be the first one here to admit, when, when I hear this concept of embracing weakness, my human flesh kind of just cringes at the thought of that. It really, we've been raised in a culture where it's kind of the strong survive. When we talk about weakness, I mean, we, we see that as a negative. We see that as a deterrent. No one wants to be weak purposely. We, we want to be strong. We want to be independent. We want to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. We don't want to be weak. Weakness, it, it, it's, for, it's for babies. It, it's for sissies. It's for women. Um, we kind of have ideas or concepts around this whole, th- and I don't mean that as a slam against women, but I'm just saying there, there's something, you know, about that, that we attribute very negatively toward weakness. We don't want it. We shun weakness. It's the survival of the fittest. We've been taught that throughout our lives, and it's been reinforced throughout the culture that it's the strong that survive. And yet an honest reading of the Bible, particularly the New Testament, and you will discover that the biblical way to greatness, to power, to anointing, to intimacy with God is through embracing godly weakness. And again, I want to go back because this is the key um, of, of Paul receiving the revelation that he received. And there Paul writes, he says again, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, meaning it was more than just one, He said, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. I'm kind of trying to read this from a different translation. Oftentimes, different translations will give you a different perspective. He said, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for, again, you got to underline this, for power dunamis, anointing, he says, is perfected in weakness. Power, this is God speaking to Paul. Power, dunamis, anointing is perfected. It grows, it prospers, it increases in weakness. Paul's response, most gladly, bring it on God. If power is through weakness, make me the weakest of all. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast. I will embrace my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. That's the key, weakness. And because of that, Paul says, because of that place of weakness, voluntary weakness, embracing godly weakness, Paul says, because of that, I am content 
with weaknesses, with insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties for Christ's sake. He said, for when I am in that place of weakness, then I am strong. So in this passage, you have God affirming, promising Paul that he would experience the power of Christ when he embraced voluntary weakness. In that he would find godly strength, he would find power and anointing through weakness. Now again, the weakness that Paul's referring to here is not moral weakness, Okay, he's not talking about, you know, the kinds of moral weaknesses like pornography or gambling or adultery. What Paul's referring to when he talks about this weakness, he's talking about weakness that comes as a result of godly obedience, godly choices, godly responses to the word of God. And what we're going to kind of discover as we get into this is there really are are two basic types of godly weakness uh, the New Testament refers to, and we'll see both of these kind of exemplified in the life of Jesus as well as Paul and other devoted followers of Christ. The first type of godly weakness that we need to embrace is what we would call voluntary weakness. Now, voluntary weakness, it it includes prayer, fasting, just living simple lives of contentment, um, the giving of our resources, tithes, offerings, serving, blessing the least among us, Um, serving, blessing our enemies, maybe serving and blessing those who offend us. This voluntary weakness, again, we, we call this voluntary weakness because we choose to embrace this. We choose to take this upon. We choose to do these spiritual disciplines believing that when we choose of our own free will to embrace these godly weaknesses, that like Paul, the power of Christ will come and dwell in us. Now let's be honest, unless we voluntarily choose any of these things, it won't happen. Okay, we've got to choose this. We've got to choose to embrace it, to begin to walk in it. Because all of these things that I just mentioned in voluntary weakness go against the grain of our human flesh. I mean, let's just look at the first one, prayer. How often is prayer a last resort to many of us? I've made this comment just as often as I've heard people make this comment. I'll say things like, I've done everything I know to do. All I can do now is pray. As if I've done everything else that's important, I've done everything else that's mattered, and none of that has worked, so I've kind of been reduced, all of my options here have been reduced to prayer. I have nothing else I can do, nothing else I can try, so having done it all, I will now just 
try to pray. That's kind of our attitude, isn't it? I've heard that a million, I've said it a million times. In other words, I've done everything I thought should have worked. I tried everything I thought would make a difference. All that's left now is prayer. Many times we do not choose prayer as a first resort or the first response to something we're going through. Let's be honest, often for a lot of us, it's the last resort, the last option. Choosing to embrace godly weakness in prayer. When we do that, when we voluntarily choose to say, that's not going to be my last response, it's going to be my first response. We're recognizing and we're coming into agreement with the word that Jesus spoke in Matthew 19, 26, where he says, with people, this is impossible. There's some things in your life, folks, that are impossible for you or for anyone else to do. Jesus said, with people, this is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. So if it's a promise of God, then it's also possible regardless of how impossible it may seem to you or to others around you. Embracing godly weakness in prayer, it's taking that position that says, God, if you don't act, if you don't intervene here, it won't happen because I don't have the power, the influence, the money, the ability to make it happen. James kind of recognized something. He said, you do not have because you do not ask. Asking is, is coming to God in prayer, making our needs, our petitions, our requests known to God. And again, so much of what we lack and so much that goes unfulfilled, undone in our lives and upon the, 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 the kingdom of, of the earth is due to our unwillingness to just humble ourselves and just come to God in prayer and ask. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, And my people who are called by my name, Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Jeremiah 29, 12 says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Now again, the Bible has so much to say about prayer and, and you know, thankfully I don't have time and I could go through every verse in the Bible on this, but again, my point is there are things that will not happen. Things that will not be accomplished, things that will not be altered or changed unless and until we come to God in prayer and partner and position ourselves with him. And unfortunately, again, in most cases, 
We will not pray until it's a last resort or till we are brought or we decide to take upon ourselves, again, that voluntary place of weakness where we choose in that weakness to say, before I do anything else, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God to intervene and to work in and through this. Where we acknowledge that though we are weak, he is strong. This is impossible with me, but all things are possible with him. He is strong. We are overwhelmed. When we embrace, voluntarily embrace godly weakness in the area of prayer, then we will see ourselves as Paul did in Philippians 4.13. And he said, I can do all things. I can only do all things through him who strengthens me. I am weak, but he is strong. Here's how the Apostle Paul, and we'll end, I'm going to end with, with this, and then we'll pick this, this is where we're going to end, where we're going to pick up next week. I want you to just look at this. Here's how the Apostle Paul captures this kingdom principle in 1 Corinthians 1, 20, beginning in 27. God has chosen. Underline that in your Bibles. God has chosen. Whether you like it, whether you agree with it, is immaterial. God has chosen. God has decided the foolish things, you know, those things that embarrass us, those things we wouldn't do if we were God. We would do it a different, better way. God has decided. He has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And if you don't like that, Paul says, God has chosen, God has decided, God is committed to the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Why does he do that? Well, he tells you so that you and I are not going to be tempted to boast before God, we're not going to be tempted to be strutting our spirituality in front of other people. Look at me. Look how great I am. Look how God uses me. Paul says so that, that we're not tempted to exalt ourselves beyond measure. That we're not going to get all puffed up with pride and arrogance that we may boast before God so that just as it is written, if you're going to boast, boast in God. God has chosen. This is deliberate. This isn't a mistake. God chose to work this way. God has structured the world to work in a way that just seems kind of counterintuitive to us. If I were God, I wouldn't do it this way. But God has chosen this is deliberate, the foolish things, the weak things of the world. That just, I mean, 
that in and of itself just causes me to step back and say, what is God doing and where is my place in that? Where is your place in that? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. First of all, you are God. And God, you are infinite in wisdom. You're infinite in knowledge. God, you created us. You know us. And God, in your infinite wisdom, you have chosen the foolish things, the weak things of the world. And God, we, like Paul, just really need to come to that place where, God, we, we receive, we recognize, we embrace that you have chosen, you have decided that this is how you're going to work. And God, we can choose to enter into that, to embrace that, and to walk in that. And God, that's difficult to do. It's why we've got to choose. We've got to pursue that. And so help us again, God, to understand and just to come to a settled place in our hearts tonight as we need to make that decision that, God, if you've chosen that this is how you're going to work, this is how you're going to move, that, God, we, we have a choice. We have a decision in this. That, God, we can embrace, we can, we can just voluntarily put ourselves in that place of how you choose to work. And then, God, just use us that God, in our weakness, that you would show yourself strong and mighty and powerful in and through us. God, that it not, the power not be of us, but that people would know in that place of great weakness, it is the power of God that is at work in us and through us. And God, Paul made a choice, Jesus made a choice, deliberate choice, to voluntarily put themselves in that place of weakness. And so may it be for us as well. Again, we just thank you, Lord. I just pray that the teaching again tonight, God, that the seed of your word would just find fertile soil in our hearts and in our spirit that, God, you would just begin to show us, to lead us, God, of how to walk this out, how to live this out. And again, God, we just, uh, again, thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the power of the example of Paul, of Jesus' life. And, God, we just, we look to them. We look to their example. And, God, just ask, Lord, that you would just come and move in our lives the way you did in their lives. And, God, for us just, again, to be able to just receive, to choose, uh, to put ourselves, to, to just be in that place of weakness. And we just thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We'll pick it up here next week.